we're in Philippians 3, and I am going to read verses, I'm going to start in verse 12, um, which Steve sort of concluded with last week, but I'm going to start in verse 12, and we're going to go all the way to verse 21. This is Paul talking. Paul's in prison. If you haven't been here with us, he's sitting in a Roman prison, um, and he's actually writing to the church in Philippi that he planted. And um, sort of the essence of this is about uh, being joyful under tremendous suffering and persecution. Really fascinating uh, book. But here's how, it, here's how he starts in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or arrived at my goal. And, and I'm going to make a couple comments as we read through here before we dig into kind of the meat of what I'm saying this morning. But I love right off the bat because you have the Apostle Paul who somehow has the capacity to both be the apostle over all of the New Testament churches. I mean, that's remarkable to me. And yet also come down onto everyone else's playing field, right? Not that I've already obtained all this. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together is literally what he's saying. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Don't you love that? He becomes one of the brothers and sisters. He's one of the brethren. He's leading them, but he's also in it with them. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, forgetting what is behind. We're actually talking about uh, moving past the past today. How do you move past the past? And what Paul's literally saying here is forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward. Uh, verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of these things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I love this about Paul. No control, right? No control. If you think differently, no problem. The Holy Spirit will work it out in you in time. He's just like, it's okay, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And can I just say I love that? Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. How many pastors, uh, let me broaden that. How many parents, let me broaden that. How many people at the end of any given day would say, do as I say, but not as I do? But what's Paul saying here? Paul's literally saying, do as I do. He's literally saying, follow my example. So, so what, you immediately get this idea that Paul has this internal and external sort of congruence, that who he is when no one's looking is the same person he is when he's up front preaching, when he's sitting in chains, when he's writing a letter to a church that he's planted. I, I just love that. It's one of the prayers for my life and Abby's life and our marriage and family is that we could say, Follow us as we follow Christ. So Paul says here, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as often, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven. Make note of that. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let's pray. 
Holy Spirit, as we open your most holy word, would you um, bring revelation to our hearts? Would you change us? Would you conform us? Father, would you allow me to sort of meld into the background? And would your word and the message of the Apostle Paul here take preeminence? And Lord, would you actually change our lives as we look at your word? Holy Spirit, would you have free and unfettered access to change us and form us? In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. So the whole thing I'm wrestling with this morning and we're going to sort of grapple with is how exactly do we move past the past? Paul said, forgetting what is behind, right? That's kind of the crux of what I'm going to work on. And um, my first point is actually actively grasping for that which Christ has grasped me. Paul just said it. But what I want you to think about is, uh, well, let let me do this. Let me actually take you into my journey for just a second because I think it'll help you. And by the way, when I tell a story about my life or our lives, the point is that so you would take that story and you would make application to whose life? Your life. That's right. So that's that's the point of this. So um, I have a five-year journal. I talk about that. And I began to notice um, that 12 or 13, maybe 14 times that the same issue had come back up. Lord, I'm struggling with, uh, it was actually forgiving a person from way long ago. It was like 1999 and the year 2000. You're like, gosh, our pastor's struggling to forgive somebody from 21 years ago or something? Well, uh, I was a student, um, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but uh, there was a group of people who were spiritual leaders over a Christian group, and I got led astray into something that has caused enormous damage in my life. Enormous, enormous damage. And um, I've uh, mostly in my healing journey, I've focused on um, my sin and my choices. And over the last couple of years, it's like the Lord's brought me sort of full circle. And I've had to begin to look at uh, what other people did that sort of set this thing up. Can I say it like that? And so I'm literally in the Word, and I'm in my little five-year journal, and I'm writing. And I begin to notice that I have a trend um, of, a, of a particular person coming back up. And I've already met with this person. Um, I've asked their forgiveness. They've asked mine. It's been, a, it's been a good exchange, mutual respect relationship. And yet, something came back up. And how many of you know that sort of life and the, the process of forgiving is a little like cutting an onion? You know that? You're like, you're like, oh, I got that layer off, and you're feeling great, and you might go a couple of months, and then... Bam, it's like three in the morning, your eyes open up, and you're like, I can't believe it. You know, and it, it comes back up. And so I think that's the process that the Holy Spirit graciously takes us through. So I'm in that journey, and I call up my, uh, the counselor that I go see once in a while. Do you believe I go see a counselor? You might want to try that. It's really, really, no, no, listen a second. It's really helpful to have a, um, a, a third party. Uh, in this case, he's a secular counselor, but he's a Christian, which I love. Um, and, and it's really helpful to have someone who sits out and, and actually goes, you might want to look a little deeper at that, Michael. And I do that because there's great risk as pastors, especially, um, that your internal world uh, becomes misaligned with your external world. You know what I'm talking about? And so I work very hard to make sure that what's going on inside of me is the same thing that's going on outside of me. So I, I called my guy up. And his name's Dr. Bennett. And I said, Dr. Bennett, can I set an appointment? So I set an appointment with him. And I get in there, and we start talking about 1999 and 2000. And all of a sudden, I am crying. Like, I am weeping. And 
we're talking back and forth, and what is happening is in the middle of this um, office, all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit of God is meeting me, and I am being healed, and I am being set free, and I am forgiving. And then he did something at the end that I, I'm going to tell you this because in six or eight months or 12 months, once I do it, I'm going to come back and tell you I did it. Some of you will remember, and some of you won't, and that's okay. But then he said, Michael, you probably need to go see this guy again. And I'm like, oh, no. You probably need to go tell him how much of a struggle it's been to, to forgive and to work through. And, and I, I, I sort of left with this like dread in the pit of my stomach and went, okay, I, Lord, I think this actually might be a message from you that I go and sit, not to shame or not to guilt, but, but to continue what we actually talked about the last two weeks, which is to work out my salvation. Now, Paul is literally talking about putting the past behind us, which is, what, I'm, what am I talking about here in my own life? How to put my past behind, how to move past the past. So our first point here is, is as Paul is talking about, how do we move past the past, is actively grasping for that which Christ has grasped me. Now, I, I think um, we probably need to take a look at, uh, and, and Steve actually did it brilliantly last week, but he dropped back into um, Acts uh, 7 and then Acts 8 and 9. And you remember how in, in Acts, you may not remember, so let me refresh you. In Acts 7, um, Paul is uh, known as Saul. He's a religious zealot. And he actually stands by and participates in killing a young man who's highly anointed and respected in the church named Stephen. You believe that? He killed a Christian. And then it goes on, and it actually, he's this greatly feared person, and he's going from house to house and church to church, and he's literally dragging people out. And we don't know to what extent Paul actually did this, but you get the idea in the, in the overview of the New Testament that Paul actually destroyed churches, probably broke up families, busted up marriages, threw people in prison, and he may have even killed more people than we know about. He was a he was a sort of um, rugged and, and gnarly guy. He, people were very much afraid of him. Um, and, and here I want to put up a verse, Acts 9, 15 and 16. And this is when Paul is actually called um, uh, to, to go um, by God. And so there's this, uh, this thing that happens in Acts 8 and 9. You can read it if you like at some point. But uh, Paul is on his way to go persecute more Christians, destroy more churches, wreck more lives. And all of a sudden this big light shows up from heaven. And there's this voice that says, Paul, or his name was Saul, so it was Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And uh, anyway, it, it goes on, and there was a guy named Ananias, and Ananias is being sent to Saul. And Ananias is scared of Saul, so he's arguing with God, and he goes, I don't want to go to this guy, because he's scary, and he hurts your, your, your believers and your body, and he wrecks churches, and this is what God says. God said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? Let's try that again. I will show him how much he must for my name. Now, Ananias chose to listen. He chose to obey and he chose to go see uh, Saul, who became the apostle Paul. But here's what, I, here's what I want you to see is in order for uh, Saul uh, to become Paul, he had to walk through a process of forgiving himself, receiving forgiveness from God, possibly forgiving the people who led him astray, 
possibly forgiving the people who hurt him. And then he is sent out um, as an apostle to reach the entire Gentile world. Gentiles are like us, non-Jewish people. And he literally went from city to city, town to town, planting churches um, and preaching the gospel. So he literally goes uh, from being um, a a persecutor of the church to being the apostle and, and the preacher of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Where he brought death and destruction, he now brings hope and life. And I think one of the ways that Paul moved past um, his past was that he actively grasped for the thing that Christ Jesus grasped him for. Does that make sense? If some of you all are sitting here today and you're hung up on something in your past, and I would be willing to bet if we walked around the room and we all talked and we all sort of opened up, like I just opened up, that there would probably be something in most of our lives that the Holy Spirit of Jesus will be putting his finger on in your life. That's why I have a five-year journal, because I can begin to see patterns. This person's name came up in my five-year journal 12 or 13 times, and I went, oh, I need to deal with that. And you know what? That's true probably for most of us. Part of working out your salvation, part of walking with Jesus is actually actively participating with him and allowing him to put his hand on things in your heart and to deal with things, even if it's 20 years ago. Oh my goodness, that's almost embarrassing to say, isn't it? But that's the way King Jesus works in our lives. That's the process of maturity. So, uh, how do we, point number one, how do we move past the past? You've got to actively grasp the thing for which Christ grasped you out. He's, all, he's rescued us. If you're in Jesus today, if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus, then Jesus is in you, and he has pulled you out of a life of sin and death. He has rescued you from eternal separation with Him, from him, and he has now sent you on a mission. You might be in here today and go, Michael, I don't know that I feel like I have a purpose. I've got good news for you. There is a purpose for you. There is a God who wants to snatch you out, grasp you out, set your feet on a pathway so that you can go somewhere. Make sense? All right. So, number two, how do we move past the past? And this is kind of the crux of the matter. I used to be a rock climber many years ago, and in in rock climbing, when you came to the hardest um, part of of a route, you'd call it the crux, the crux of the route. So here's kind of the crux of my message this morning. But how do we move past the past? We forget the things that are behind us. That's literally what Paul said in, uh, where was he? Verse 13. Forgetting what is behind. Say that with me. Y'all are getting a little better at that. Let's try it one more time. One, two, three. Now, I began to pray about this. Lord, what does it mean? What did it mean in Paul's life to forget what is behind? What does it mean in our life as people, as believers, to forget what is behind? And I want to take a look at sort of several things that I think we as people, we as believers, we as Christians could struggle with and be maybe even unable to forget what's behind. And the first thing I thought of was bitterness. Oh, is it hard to forgive? It's hard to forgive, especially someone who has hurt you deeply. We're talked about New Hanover County Schools. There's some uh, children and young teenagers who, who have been hurt. That is hard to walk through. That is something that they, some of those kids will walk through for years and years and years. Forgiveness is challenging. I actually would say to you that I think the enemy of Christians 
uses bitterness and unforgiveness in the life of Christians more than anything else to declare our calling and purpose void. You can write that down. Write it somewhere. Bitterness. Jot something. The enemy wants to use your inability or your refusal, I should probably say, to begin to let go and to allow the Holy Spirit into a place inside your heart and your volitional choice to forgive and to let go. If you cannot do that, the enemy will use that to render your calling and your capacity on earth void. Why did I go in and spend however many hours I spent crying and talking to my counselor? Because I know that if I can't deal with the thing, now, do I have to forgive, do I have to feel like forgiving this person? No. I don't even have, this is what's beautiful about the gospel, this is such good news, y'all, listen to me, listen to me. I'm sitting in there crying, and I don't feel like talking to this counselor. I don't feel like forgiving this person. But I can make a volitional choice before Jesus. Jesus, I can't change my feelings. I don't like this human, and I'm actually angry, and I am hurt, but I choose by an act of my will to forgive. And you know what happens when you do that? All power, the very same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead, is enacted on your behalf, and guess what happens? He takes it from there. What the Holy Spirit is waiting on in our lives is are we willing to come to the point where we go, I might not like them, I might not, I have, I've been hurt, you fill in the blank, whatever it's been, but I choose by an act of my will before all of the heavenlies to forgive, would you empower me to forgive? And all power in heaven and earth is made available in that moment to propel you into forgiveness. You don't have to change how you feel. Isn't that good news? Somebody needs to say, Amen. Preach, preacher. You've got a little handkerchief. You can wave it. I am convinced, I, as I sit with Christians, I am convinced. I sit and talk to them. I can ask five or six questions, and you can almost always find an area where somebody's hanging on to something. How much church hurt do we carry around? I mean, it's like we, people are carrying this stuff around. It's like, oh, my gosh, you start talking to people. And, you know, we've been hurt by pastors, and we've been hurt by leaders, and we've been hurt by our parents, and we've been hurt by friends, and, and a lot of it is legitimate. I'm not saying it's not legitimate hurt, but what I am saying and here at church is the enemy of your soul wants to render your calling and your capacity and your purpose on planet Earth absolutely void by getting you stuck in bitterness. You must, you must for your own sake. A lot of us think that if we hang on to not forgiving someone, that somehow we're punishing them. I've got news for you. You are not punishing them. You know who you're punishing? You. We know this. Like, it, it talks good, doesn't it? Like, it talks good and it preaches good, but it lives hard. Like, it is hard. It is hard. <clears throat> Let's put up 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28. Oh, look, it's behind me. Thank you. I, I don't want to, let me just read through this quickly, and then I want to make some applications on it. Um, this is Paul, and he's writing again in 2 Corinthians, so different book, different church. But he says, are they servants of Christ? And then he, little parentheses, I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but he says, I am more. I've worked much harder. I have been in, all right, let's work, that, let's work this out again. I have been in more frequently. I have been 
more severely I have been exposed to again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was with rods. Once I was with stones. Three times I was, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, and in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. Okay, uh, David, would you go back to the first slide? Here's what I want you to see. If you and I were writing this, oh, go back to my first, yep, there you go, thank you. Here's what I want you to see. If you and I were writing this, or if we're sitting with a Christian talking about it, what we're mostly going to say is, Joe threw me in prison, and I'm still angry at him because of it. All right, go with me here just a second. This is so important. Paul, you can tell that Paul's attitude is one of total forgiveness. There is no bitterness. He has let go. How can you tell? He is not once referencing a person. Who gave him 40 lashes? A human. Do you think he had to forgive that human? Who kicked him out? Who threw rocks at him? Who hurt him? Who talked badly about him? Go with me here. Have you been hurt? Shake your head. Yes. Take it a step further. When we hurt and don't deal with it, do we begin to hurt others? Yes. If you're a parent and you're hanging on to unforgiveness and bitterness or negativity towards someone else, guess what you begin to project out on your kids? Oh, gosh, that's scary, isn't it? You're a grandparent. Same thing. You're a roommate. You're a single person that has friends. Guess what you begin to project out? Now, here's what I want you to see about the Apostle Paul. He went through all kinds of things. Look it up. Begin to put yourself. We read Scripture, and we read them like words on a page. Think about this guy actually being beaten with rods. That that people threw stones at him. That people, you know, they hurt this guy. And he had to deal with the emotions of it. He had to forgive. He had to let go. He had to release the bitterness. He had to move past the past. God has a call on every one of your lives. He has a purpose. He has a destiny. He has things that only you can accomplish, that only people that only you can reach, places that only you can go. And listen to me when I say, if you cannot embrace forgiving and letting go and releasing bitterness, the enemy of your soul will render your calling useless. Hear me. I started with my story. Why? To make you feel safe to take the journey with the Holy Spirit of Jesus to begin to let go of the things that you're holding inside of you. Follow me as I follow Christ. I was thinking further about forgetting the things behind. And the thing that I immediately landed on was personal shame and regret. 
Can you imagine Paul's personal shame and regret over having killed Christians? Can you imagine when he began to grasp the kingdom of God and he began to grasp his call to actually go and plant churches and evangelize the Gentile world and that he had been one who had killed Christians, destroyed churches, wrecked families, messed up marriages, messed up lives? Can you imagine the guy's guilt? Oh, my goodness. I struggle with personal shame and regret. I've got a seven-year hole in my life and in my story. And the reason I was in my counselor's office is because that's where it all began, and I got sideswiped for about seven years. But the problem is it wasn't just things that were done to me. I participated in hurting. It has taken everything uh, in my life to get me to this point where I could plant a church because I kept going, Lord, I don't deserve it. Lord, I'm not good enough. Lord, I've got a history. Lord, I've created messes. Lord, I've hurt people. I've got two older kids in crisis because of this seven years. Lord Jesus, you, how, you can't use the likes of me to plant a church. And yet, think of the Apostle Paul. Dragging people out of houses, wrecking churches, wrecking lives, killing people. And who does God choose to use? Now, flip it to you. Where's the enemy come and whisper into you? Into your ear, into your heart, however he accesses you, about your own shame, your own guilt, your own regret. If you cannot begin, I'm going to use a funny word, but if you cannot, it's not just begin, but it's consistently appropriate the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus into your heart in such a way that you're able to let go, supernaturally again, of that guilt and shame. The enemy will similarly declare your calling void. You follow me? It's, this is the same thing. I come to this same spot where I go, Lord Jesus, I can't change the past. I can't change what I did and I can't change what was done to me. I can't go back there and shift anything. And I can come to this same point and go, but Lord, I choose to let it go. I choose to ask that you would appropriate into my being your forgiveness. And then I choose to walk free. Now listen to me. I've done that couple hundred times. Does the enemy still come and whisper? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who said it? Right there. Thank you. Oh, yeah. You open your eyes at 3 a.m. and it's like, oh, you worthless. Blah, 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 blah. And I have to do it again. But you know what's so good? What's so good is it's the grace of Christ Jesus that got me here. And guess what's going to keep me here? Oh, it's so but listen to me, church. Your guilt and your shame and your regret of things gone by can hold you back and keep you from fulfilling your God-given capacity. Again, it's an onion. You'll do it. You'll probably do it again. And you'll do it again. And that's the journey of working it out with Christ Jesus. 
think I've told this story before, but it's worth mentioning. The first day I met Abby, she didn't know I was a Christian, and she had no idea what I was uh, going through in my personal life, and um, I won't go into the backstory of it, but she asked me a question that was a um, true to Abby, uh, a, a penetrating deep question that just like cut to my heart. And I was like, and I gave this answer and I almost fell apart. I had this big lump in my throat and I was like, and I answered her. And then she looks at me, doesn't even know I'm a Christian. We're at a secular party. I mean, there's no, there weren't even any Christians there, I don't think, but us. And she looks at me and says, you know what? I believe in a God that can take something that's been broken and make something beautiful out of it. I was like, oh, me too, me too. Are you busy next weekend? <laughs> Listen to me. Your personal shame and your personal regret can shackle you and keep you from becoming all that he's called you to be. Now, let's just let's park here for another second. Am I suggesting for a minute that you minimize the devastating effect of your poor choices on other people's lives? Go there a minute. That's, it's a really important question. Because sometimes we try to actually um, help the Holy Spirit, forgive, you know, help us receive his forgiveness by minimizing what we've done. I do not believe in that. I actually believe in like going, I can't believe what I've done. And I'm going to like fully drink down the revelation of how significant and hurtful it was. And as I do that, I am simultaneously bringing it to the cross of Christ Jesus, going, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me, and would you cleanse me? And not only that, would you put behind me, would you allow me to forget the guilt and the shame and walk forward free? That's the gospel. You don't have to gloss over it. You don't have to candy coat it. No, no, you take it for what it is. You take it for as bad as it was. Don't inflate it. Don't deflate it. Call it at face value. And if you need a counselor to sit with you and tell you what face value is, then go get one. If you need a pastor to sit with you at face value, then give me a call and we'll do that. But the journey of walking through your own, your own shame and your own regret is calling it what it is, bringing it to the cross, and then letting the Holy Spirit sweep it behind you so that you can walk forward free. Forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward. I continue to think, and another thing that I see as a problem for Christians, a huge handicap that we have, or a, maybe a better word, is just an impediment to um, moving past the past, to letting go of what's behind, is bereavement, grief. So you talk to people who've been through a divorce. You talk to people who have experienced a death in the family. You talk to a child, even a grown child, who lost a parent at a young age. These are all things that, if you're not careful, can become something where you're unable, you're unwilling to forget what lies behind and press on to what God has for you. Now, I'm not saying if you've lost somebody, you need to forget the person. No, no, no. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong here. But there is an element where you have to go, okay, if a person is now gone, I have to grieve it, actively walk through it, and will it be like an onion? Yes. And it comes up at weird times, strange times. Abby and I are grieving something with our older two kids, and it comes up at weird times, and we're doing fine, and then all of a sudden I'm looking at her, and i got tears streaming down my face. It's just the way grief is. 
But listen to me, if you don't actively engage in whatever grief or bereavement or whatever and walk through if you've lost somebody or you've lost something, that can become an impediment that keeps you from from forgetting what lies behind and pressing on to what the Lord Jesus has for you. You'd be surprised, maybe you wouldn't be, but I talk to more believers um, who stop their journey uh, because of a crisis event. They stop. So let me again take you back to my own life. <clears throat> From age about 20 to 27, I got this hole in my life. And at age 27, it was literally like I almost had to go back to being 19 or 20 and relive those seven years. Now, do I think God makes all of us relive? No. But I think he gives us opportunities to redeem and walk through him uh, in a really great way, what we didn't walk through well the previous time. Does that make sense? It's like as you, as you bring things to the Lord and go, God, would you redeem it? Would you restore it? I think he actually provides opportunities for us to walk through similar things really well. It's part of his redemption plan. It's beautiful. I love that he actually does this. So <clears throat> you literally have... Um, I would just say, mark this down. If, it, if it's you, you'd know it, and you just have to go, Holy Spirit, would you begin to help me with it? But if there is something that you've run into, a death, a bereavement, a divorce, a loss, a, a chronic illness, it can be anything, but you can just stop in your journey, and you become unable to forget what's behind and press on to what the Lord Jesus has for you. The last thing that I thought of is, is interesting, and I don't know that all of us would um, resonate with this one, but it's sort of resting on the laurels of the past. How easy would it have been for the Apostle Paul to leave a huge church, like the church in Ephesus that he planted? That is a huge, booming church, one of the greatest New Testament churches. How easy would it have been for Paul to walk out of Ephesus and go, I deserve a vacation. I'm going to go down to, you know, I don't know, the south of Turkey, and I'm going to sit on the warm beaches, and I'm going to hang out, and I'm done with ministry because I finished the church in Ephesus. How easy is that? Now, am I saying not to take a vacation? No. No, 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 no. But what I am saying is you get this thing in Paul, and we're going to talk about it more in just a second, where he is constantly pressing towards what's ahead. It's interesting because um, we have a group of um, elders over the church that I love because the common denominator in all of them is they're all, they all keep pressing. They're all retired sort of in you know, on paper. In other words, they're not necessarily uh, being paid to work anymore, but they all keep pressing. They're not retired at all. And I love that. May that be true for all of us. Because how easy could it be to rest on the laurels of the past, to go, well, I've done it, I've arrived, so I'm just going to hang out here and rest in the bygone glories. Okay, my third point. So we got... Uh, how do we move past the past? We actively grasp for that which for Christ Jesus has grasped the hold of me. Second point, how do we uh, move past the past? We forget the things that lie behind us. Third point, how do we move past the past? We press and strain for the things ahead. So Paul's literally saying here, um, after it's in verse uh, 13, the second half, 
Um, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and then straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward. Now, here's what he's, he's uh, referencing. He's writing to the church in Philippi, which is a, a Roman city, so Greco-Roman influence, and he's literally writing here about the Olympics. And the Olympics started in, anybody know what city? Athens. Somebody said it. I heard it. started in Athens. So what Paul is literally referencing here is the Olympics that happened in Athens. And everyone sitting in Philippi would have known good and well what he was talking about. And he's literally referencing kind of a runner. And, and uh, I, I used to be a runner. I am not really any longer. But what I love about people who are runners, in fact, David would know this. David over here is a runner. But what I love about runners is runners who are great runners save some juice for the last, like, it depends how long the race is, but for the last portion of the race. And really, really good runners, it's absolutely amazing because they're running this race and you're like, man, you're keeping up with them and you think you're doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden, the real runners show up in like the last mile and they're like, and you are like gassed and winded and you can't keep up, at least I am. But the real runners all of a sudden show up and they all of a sudden press forward. And then the other thing that I love about Paul's whole analogy is a runner in a race, if there was a ribbon at the end of the race, if you've actually uh, been in especially a sprint, but even a long distance run, you actually see people and they're pressing their body absolutely forward. They're pushing themselves towards the finish line with everything in them. They're just urging themselves forward to finish this race. And you get this um, beautiful dichotomy in the gospel that happens here because in Christ, it's all been done for us, hasn't it? In Christ, we rest continually and eternally, do we not? And yet, you have the Apostle Paul going from that place of rest. I am giving everything I have in this race. I am pressing, I am straining to win the race, to get the prize. I'm going to cross that finish line because he has called me to deliver the good news of the gospel of Christ Jesus to the Gentile world. And Paul's going, I'm going to give everything I got. May I get to the end of my race and go, I couldn't have given another ounce. I gave it all. May that be the common denominator for all of us. We gave it all. We pressed. We pushed. In Athens, in those early days of the Olympics, they would have given a, um, an olive branch that was sort of woven together to make a little crown. And that was the crown that Paul's referencing here. He's literally saying he, he is pressing for a prize so how do we move past the past? We strain for the things ahead. We push to the things ahead. And, and here, let me throw out a little cliche here. You hear a lot of people say um, things like, let go and let God. It doesn't sound much like that, does it? Paul's not saying let go and let God, is he? Paul's actually saying, oh, no, he has saved me. He has birthed me anew. He has redeemed me. And because of it, I am like pressing. I am running. I am straining. I am giving everything I've got to advance the gospel of Christ Jesus. And Paul, in his last moments in prison, is still penning and writing and encouraging and loving and blessing and giving and doing and sending because it is so in him the good news of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Is he trying to earn his salvation? Christ Jesus already paid it all. Has he been so deeply marked and inspired by the gospel of Christ Jesus that he is now giving his all to the advancement of it? Yes. yes. Are we as people called to that? Yes. yes. The question for you today would be, am I giving my all, Lord Jesus? Am I giving my all? That's a question to ask almost every day. <clears throat> 
as believers, we must appropriate or make our own. Appropriate kind of means like eat, digest, make your own. But as believers, we must appropriate the sanctifying grace of God into our lives, assimilate that grace into our lives by actively obeying him. Wow, that's big. Is our preacher preaching works? No, no. No, 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 no. I'm preaching grace. Nothing but grace. But out of grace, do you know what comes? This fervent desire to chase hard in response, to run hard in response to King Jesus and to carry the gospel everywhere we go. Point number four, how do we move past the past? We become citizens of heaven. Let me make two comments here. I am proud to be an American. But first, I'm a citizen of heaven. Paul said it right here. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. First, I consider myself a citizen of heaven. Second, I consider myself an ambassador of heaven sent to earth to be here and to be a part of evangelizing and sharing the good news of the gospel of Christ Jesus. We have Bill and Shelley sitting over here to my left. Maybe you're right there on the front row. And they have a home in Italy that they have intentionally bought, and they go there as missionaries to share the gospel in a, a small little township that has almost 0% Christians. They literally are strategically going to live among the people to share the gospel of Christ Jesus. That's what we're all called to be doing. If you're going to work, if you're going to school, if you're going to shopping, if you're going wherever you're going, it doesn't matter. The, the issue is, am I carrying um, even the responsibility of a citizen of heaven as an ambassador for Christ Jesus. Uh, Monica is not in here, but her husband David is. I'm going to talk about Monica a second. You can tell her what I said. But <clears throat> I love, uh, Monica's uh, one of our administrators, and she's been a principal at a number of different schools. And if you ever meet with Monica at a coffee shop or in public, every time I've ever met with Monica, at least one, sometimes two or three people come up and go, Monica goes, oh my goodness, and they give her a big hug. And Monica never, never, never takes off her principal or administrator hat. Like, it's just part of who she is. She is literally an ambassador. And so the way she carries herself is how? Like a principal. She carries herself with this dignity and this respect. When she talks to people, it carries the same weight and the same flavor that she would right in the middle of her office or her hallways. When she represents herself, she also represents New Hanover County. I love watching that about her, and I think it's very similar to what Christ Jesus has called us to. How many of us like to be Christians on Sunday? Like, forget that mess. I've done it for the week. I'm done. Let's go. Right? But see, the call is to carry him with us everywhere we go. Become citizens of heaven. What are we at? 20 after. I want to close with something interesting today. In fact, Perry, maybe you'll come and play for us. But in the 1940s and 1950s, there was a guy called uh, Dr. Niebuhr, and he wrote something called the Serenity Prayer. It's really good. I actually love it. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple of short versions, um, but there's actually a more lengthy version that was published in 1951. And um, here's how it goes. God, give me the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed. And the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, 
taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. 